0: Hello, this is Deb from Deb's Data Dojo, part of the Calling All Beings Podcast Network. Today, I am speaking to the legendary J. Christopher King. J. Christopher King is a busy man with many hats. He is the director of the Experiencer Group, which includes hundreds of members, support groups, a website, and guest speakers. He has presented at Archives of the Impossible and co-founded the Conferences in New York with James Iandoli of Engaging the Phenomenon. The Conferences were called An Inquiry into Anomalous Experiences of the Phenomenon and Bring Anomalous Discussions to a New Significant Cerebral Level. Jay co-hosts with Sean of Witness Citizen and occasionally with James on YouTube. Jay's personal experiences with the phenomenon were featured in an article with Ralph Brumenthal and were further made public by The Debrief. Jay also spent time assisting Richard Dolan and worked with him on his projects and books. Additionally, Jay identifies as an artist and a producer. I'm also happy to brag that I got to meet Jay. Okay, (laughs) there we go. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the dojo. (laughs)
1: Well, thank you, Deb, and thank you for the very thoughtfully written intro. That was great. Yeah, Deeply it may be one of the
0: longest ones I've had. You've you have quite the resume.
1: Oh my gosh, yeah, it it can be a little embarrassing sometimes, but I I I I try to. Rem- every, a couple times people have mentioned that, and and I try to remind folks that I'm I'm a little bit older than most people think I am. Mm-hmm. I I'm, I just turned forty four years old, and so. You know, like a lot of folks that that are a little bit older and have a long bio, you have to remember that there's often like two, three, four years of just really boring BS that happens between all the exciting stuff for a lot Mm -hmm. of folks out there. And I'm no exception to that.
0: Yeah, I'm one of those people. I was really cool in my 20s and then the 30s were just really busy with kids.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Very understandable. Well, it's great to see you.
0: Yes. Well, welcome. I'm very happy to see you. Um, There are so many things for us to tackle today, I guess, you know, since this is the dojo and it is one of those things that like is sincerely part of your heart. I think the first thing I would like is if you could educate people on the experiencer group a little bit so that if people need help, they know what it's about.
1: Oh, sure. Uh, Yeah, thanks for that. Um, The Experiencer Group was founded, it was actually founded uh, almost exactly two years ago. Uh, In less than 48 hours, it'll be the two-year anniversary of the Experiencer Group. The Experiencer Group is a private member site dedicated to support curiosity and community for people who've had anomalous experiences of any and all kinds. And so that could be a UFO sighting, it could be uh, encountering and non-human intelligence, it could be uh, cryptozoological experience. It, uh, people have had out-of-body experiences, precognition, near death. It really runs the gamut, and you know, over over the years, especially more recently, I think a lot of people have that study this field, these related fields, uh, have come to the understanding that it used to be the the idea that people were lucky if they had one or two paranormal experiences in their whole entire life and what we find is that one of the one of the kind of like dirty secrets of the paranormal or the ufological or anything along those lines is that once you find some of these people they've had many different modalities and often many different kinds of experiences and so People being able to compare notes and share in a way where they don't feel like they have to edit anything out is really important, especially these days where everybody, you know, if you're applying to a job or, or, you know, whatever, or you just have nosy family members, anything along those lines, everybody's looking at your Facebook, people are looking you up on Instagram and all these things. And it's helpful to have a place where people can just share in, in a less guarded way. Uh, especially about situations like this. And so uh, originally, uh, I, before that, even um, while I was working, uh, helping out Richard Dolan, and while I was in Sean esbjorn Horgan's exo-studies class, I started two support groups, one in Sean esbjorn Horgan's group and one uh, within Richard Dolan's member site. Uh, for people that had anomalous experiences so that they could talk. And this was during the early months of the pandemic. And so it was during the shutdown and everybody just had a, a ton of time on their hands. You know what I mean? There wasn't anywhere to go. There wasn't anything to do. A lot of people couldn't even go to restaurants, you know, uh, you know, around here. Uh, public parks were even shut down for a lot of that time. Everybody remembers what that was like. So, so we would have these epic long zoom sessions as many people did within whatever field that they were interested in at that time. Right. Or whatever their friend group was at that time. And so the experiencer group kind of grew out of that. Um, one guy that was in one of my support groups was a guy named Stuart Davis, who does the aliens and artists podcast. And, uh, a woman, Kirsten Blackburn, who I worked with, uh, with Richard Dolan, Um, was instrumental in helping with the support groups that were happening at the Richard Dolan site. And so Stuart and Kirsten and I uh, had a meeting uh, just over two years ago and decided, like, this should just be its own thing. It shouldn't be associated with one particular personality. It shouldn't be associated with any one particular belief system or one particular uh, version of a modality or one particular bent within the paranormal, uh, etc. The the larger kind of banner of anomalous experience, and um, you know it should have a strong social component. There should be kind of like a private message board. We should continue having Zoom events, and that's exactly what we did. And so I'm really
0: grateful to hear, um, by the way, that it's not just UFO or, you know. It, that it embraces other things because my experiences initially in my life were not related to UFOs, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's interesting the path that I've been on um that got me here. And i I was already studying all the other things that everyone else is saying, Oh, you know, they might be connected. Like the people who start with UFOs eventually get to you, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but so it's it's like I brought all of that with me. So I'm glad. And DJ is obsessed with Bigfoot, so he'll be happy to know their support for the, the Bigfoot group.
1: Oh yeah, there have been there have been some really good Bigfoot and Sasquatch um, posts in the in the group. Of course, you know we have like strong policies about um, keeping members anonymous when you meet up with them in public, not outing anybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, not outing anybody's accounts or even just them being a member of the group unless they give you permission things like that but i can say that there have been some pretty epic sasquatch posts in the experiencer group that's for sure and Mm -hmm. i love reading those i have i mean as you might guess like i have a pretty broad library and like i i'm you know, I've got a bunch of the wonderful Sasquatch books in the lore, like Joshua Cutchin recently did a couple amazing mm-hmm. uh, Sasquatch books called mm-hmm. uh, Where the Footprints End, Volume 1 and 2. You know, the Lauren Coleman books, that kind of stuff. I, re- I love reading about that stuff, and I think it's a, a wonderful mystery. You know what I mean? People forget about how simple that form of ontological shock can be. Even though Sasquatch, even though Sasquatch, like you know, people have a lot of theories about like interdimensional Sasquatch, or you know, the fact that they, it seems that they have a form of speech. You know, there are a lot of recordings and a lot of accounts of them speaking Mm -hmm. to each other and things like that, and that trips people up every once in a while. You know, they think like, oh, that's impossible, but then you know, they they. After they breeze past the part where like an 8 to 14 foot tall, like ape man living in the woods of Ohio or BC or whatever, you know, after they get through that part, then it's like, mm-hmm. oh, they can speak. Oh, that's, a, you know, or they it's, can open up a portal funny. and walk through it or whatever. You know what I mean? It goes now it, that it you gets to a pretty it. wild place.
0: Yeah. Now that you mention it, it's the the height's not what trips me up either.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: It's the it's the you know, the, the fact to me that there's so many parallels between the encounters with Bigfoot and the encounters with, say, a gray. There's so many yeah. parallels that I'm fascinated by that. And yes, yeah, that's true. And it's similar to like stories of angels and stories of demons and stories mm-hmm. of sprites. Like all of these have a huge baseline commonality um so it's really interesting to me
1: a hundred percent agreed you know i mean one of the things is that you know there there seems to be this cone of silence that often happens when people encounter a gray or encounter a sasquatch or or many other forms of uh, non-humanity um you know another one is the form the 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 situation of when people lock eyes that 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 people freeze up you know and or that there can be a a strong sense of of time distortion you know all of those things are, are commonalities and you're absolutely right that that's that's definitely there and then you know then it becomes like how do we parse apart like the fear response in people versus what could be another kind of um psychological form of psychological manipulation on the part of the other being versus like a fear response or just an evolutionary imperative on your own part, or how much is that a co-creative experience? And, you know, I think that there's a lot of room for growth in terms of like studying all that stuff. And it's going to take, you know, probably many years in the future for us to kind of delineate like, What's just like fight or flight, and, and what do they do to us? Right.
0: Yeah. And, and I've thought of that before. You know, I hear about that from experiencers that they have either this sudden huge amount of dread plus adrenaline, heart pounding, and all that out of the blue. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like it's not expected. It might be before they see anything, um, or they have euphoria. And it reminds me of the same things that happen when we manipulate someone with, like, an electromagnetic wand for therapy, right? Because mm-hmm. there's people who are doing that now. They're doing that research. And it mm-hmm. makes me think it's a technology. And obviously, a non-human intelligence with really good gadgets would know how to manipulate us fairly easily, in my opinion, like, mm-hmm. the, we're not that complicated in that sense. Like <laughs> they, you know, like there's a lot of things that are complicated about us, but our biology is not one of them. Uh-huh. Um, I think that, you know, we're very spiritual and artistic and we might be superior in that. I, I have yet to hear anyone talk about a great sense of spirituality and art from non-human, entities but or you know we'll see we'll see I, i'd like to know more about that i'd like to meet one and ask but <laughs>
1: yeah there, there's there's actually a really great uh, one of okay there is a um there's an early channeling book called the urantia book
0: all mm-hmm. right
1: and i don't know if you've heard of this one before or not mm-hmm. but um but um it was supposedly written by this pretty wealthy successful guy i think in chicago um back in the early 1900s and he was, he actually had a like a Freudian style therapist. He was a very early adopter of conventional psychotherapy. And he would, he could kind of seemingly either control when he went into these channeling states, or he timed it in such a way that he started scheduling his appointments with this person for when he was in these states. And so anyway, it turned out that it was his like, his or like early psychotherapist that would write down and re, or the, the stuff that he was saying during these sessions. And it ended up with this like thousand, I can't remember exactly what it is. It's certainly over 700 pages. It's a big doorstop of a book, right? And it's all like, you know, the uh, uh, kind of a typically amazingly dense channeling book that talks about, you know, the structure of the universe, the structure of the various, you know, different beings that are in it. How they all developed, yada, yada, yada. Was this The
0: Dentist? I think I heard about this and read some of that
1: book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People think he was a dentist. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. right. And so, but like, but like one of the things that I thought was greatest about that book, I haven't read the whole thing. You know, I've skimmed that book, right? But like one of the things that I really enjoyed most about the Urantia book is that, uh, you know, one of the entities that channeled was asked, well, what's unique about humans, right? humans on earth right and the answer was uh well they're really well known amongst other beings as having a highly developed sense of humor right and they they like to make each other laugh and you know and then the person was like um is there anything else that they're notable or really advanced in and i was like no no Oh wow. Wow. <laughs> pretty so much, pretty uh, much just so their sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've I've asked it.
0: this I've asked about Bigfoot having art too. Like do they have any kind of like emblems that they wear, any symbols that matter? And like people do say that they're like formations out in the woods, maybe a form of communication, but they're still just I hate to say this. Sorry, Bigfoot, they're sticks. They're not, you know, they're not like, you know, Picasso or, you know, Monet. So, I mean, I just, I don't know. I would like to know Mm -hmm. more about that. Um, So far, for for instance, the only indication that we've gotten of anything like art for non-human intelligence has been like writing that's been on craft. And I've Mm -hmm. noticed there's two kinds. There's a geometric kind and a runic kind. Mm -hmm. That's, That's it. That's all I've got for their art.
1: Hmm. Well, I mean, that's true. I mean, I guess one form of that, again, to like reach back to like channeling material, and you know, for the purposes of the conversation, I'm I'm not saying that the Urantia Book is like quote unquote true. You know, for those that don't know me, you know, I it's important to recognize that when I'm talking about like a non-human intelligence or anything along those lines. I perfectly recognize that there's a lot of mystery here. I don't know the answers to any of it Mm -hmm. necessarily. And that even if you get a straight answer from a non-human entity, a non-human intelligence, however it comes into you, whether it's telepathic, whether it's a channeling, whether it's standing right in front of you, however it happens, right? It doesn't necessarily mean that it's being Mm -hmm. honest, and it also doesn't necessarily mean that it's right. Even if you are, in fact, dealing with one of these things, you're basically mm-hmm. dealing with the smartest person in the room. And that doesn't, mm-hmm. maybe. And then and then, once you're dealing with the smartest person in the room, it doesn't always mean that they're accurate. You know what I mean? Like Steve Jobs screwed up in business all sorts of times. You know what I mean? And people <laughs> considered him to be a really bright guy, right? Yeah, so, I,
0: just, I know yeah. more about you know intelligence is like because of you know my background in psychology and intelligence it has a lot of definitions. Like it's not just an IQ test now. It's not just oh, being sure. like you, having a fancy spaceship like Elon Musk, which clearly like if you talk to the man, he's a pretty normal dude. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so it's 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 a lot more than that. So like whenever people call these. Entity superior, I like kind of flinch a little, and I'm like, it's sure. funny, but I and I, uh, you'll appreciate this. I read Artie Six Clark, Killer Clark's books. I know you're. Oh a big yeah, fan, she's great. Yeah. And I remember fan. picking up some things in those books, like, for instance, that some of the Mayans believe that the star people um, populated Earth essentially, um, mm-hmm. and so that means that we're basically related to these non-human intelligences in a sense like they're not actually non-human maybe <laughs> you know that we're all like sharing the same bed of DNA so mm-hmm. uh, you know just kind of absorbing all of that really changes my perception of the superiority
1: oh yeah I, I 100% agree and, and you know it's just some people i think mistake like superiority for somebody maybe having the upper hand in a situation because we as humans are so used Mm -hmm. to having the upper hand when we're dealing with any other form of a being whether it be a Mm -hmm. dog or you know any other animal out there you know it's rare and it becomes notable when people you know are out in open water and they're stuck with a shark or you know they're out or they're out hiking, and it's with a bear. Like, there's a reason why we hear these stories, and it's because it's so rare that we find ourselves in situations where somebody else has the upper hand, right? Mm -hmm. But, yeah. But along those lines, you know, as in terms of, like, creative or, like, the creative urge and other intelligences, you know, one of the most popular, like, pieces of paranormal literature in the 70s were the Jane Roberts books, you know, the Seth Mm -hmm. books. And um, she was a channeler that lived upstate New York um, with, with her husband, Robert and Robert would write down uh, these channeling sessions that she would come out with. And it was this entity called Seth. And like some of these, you know, some of these channeling books are pretty fascinating because of the depth in which they go into detail. Right. And mm-hmm. there's always been something that I find kind of interesting about that. And mm-hmm. again, not if if this is just that Jane Roberts had, like, this amazing, brilliant unconscious, you know what I mean, that was mm-hmm. able to, like, carve out whole universes in the back of her mind and then just come out with it for an hour and a half every night, even that is fascinating, right? Yeah. Even that is a fascinating story. So, like, she was, she was saying that, okay, like, as Seth, as this channeled being, she's talking about how you know, Seth is a discarnate entity that like, lives in some kind of other dimension, basically is a spirit, has been a human before. Mm-hmm. And when, when discarnate beings like Seth meet up with other discarnate beings that have existed in different planes, they examine and kind of access each other's intelligences, each other's brains, you know, each other's minds, because <laughs> they're discarnate. And then they figure out if they've been like in the same world around the same time right Mm -hmm. and then they co-create using like intelligent energy they basically make like a holodeck around them so that Mm -hmm. they can kind of like and they'll each like add to it um to kind of like approximate and 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 seth says that it's it's a way that we can kind of describe and 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 relate to each other within the form of like aesthetics and color and mood. And it's a way that we can kind of describe how we're feeling at the moment and we can change it. And I'm and I was like and when I read that, I was like, oh, that's a lot like art. You know, that is very, very similar to art. But it's one of the few situations that I've ever come up with that that really does describe something that sounds a lot like an immersive art experience.
0: Yeah, because. When it comes to like say UFOs, like when people talk about the lights or the sounds, I'm always thinking it's just related to the technology. Like it's not like an, a light show that they're doing for us. They could care less if we see the light, you know? <laughs> like it's just part of the propulsion, you know? <laughs> like so I don't think they necessarily want us to see them. They don't, you know, it's not part of their agenda when they're doing that. But um I you know, it just it makes you wonder, but of course, if you've seen, you know, um, movies, there's music that they make in the movies. And I'm like, I'd be, I'd love Mm -hmm. for that to be true, but you don't hear about those sounds from experiencers. You don't hear about like, um, you hear about like buzzing sounds and like Mm -hmm. electric sounds. You don't really hear Mm -hmm. music per se from a distance. Like I think sometimes people, um, talk about having, heard music when they're closer to an entity of some kind but mm-hmm. that's a different um scenario i don't i don't know what's going on there that could be part of the technology <laughs> messing with their head i don't know but um yeah, there's, yeah it, again there, there are so many questions and um there's someone on youtube um his whole channel is what would you ask an alien and i would definitely ask about art <laughs>
1: yeah i think art would be one thing to do i mean i think you know it's interesting because along those lines when you look back in the history on our planet with regard to beings that seem to come down from the air right uh at the end of the 1800s there were the notable airship cases where sometimes there were even some notable occurrences that sounded a lot like cattle abductions, like a contemporary cattle abduction. But there are a couple ones in the back of, there's one in the back of Passport to Magonia, as I recall, that um, it, it, a bunch of townspeople described seeing a cow getting abducted from an airship and it was actually lifted by a rope and an anchor. You know what I mean? Up. And And I just thought that that was so ludicrous by the time that I got to it, because I'd already heard about cattle mutilations. I'd already read about that whole thing. as like an idea, you know what I mean? Regardless of what the reality of that is, but the idea, you know, there's a cultural meme of like, Oh, aliens, they take, they take cattle up and they do weird, weird stuff with them. Maybe they're experiments and maybe they're doing that. Who knows? Right. And so like the, but the idea that these airships, you know, sometimes would have like rotors on them. Like you could, sometimes you could actually hear them, you know, maybe sometimes they, they actually had something that looked like a sail on them, strange things like that. You know, it, it makes me think that when people talk about like the co-creative hypothesis or the idea that like, that some, at some point in the past, like they would make themselves out to look like elves or trolls or whatever, rather than greys or this or that, or the other thing you know in some ways that that could be looked at as like a form of art or creation in a way too because it's it's kind of like kabuki theater or something like that but it's almost like it's like a reality show sci-fi movie that's happening right in front of you where they're trying to like drag you through an idea you know what i mean or something like that
0: i i do think sometimes that the idea that this is all like transmitted to us from pretty far away might have credence, like all of these things that we're seeing and experiencing. But I don't know. I don't want to say all. I think there are some beings living on this planet for sure that are not mm-hmm. like clear to us um, as mm-hmm. of yet. I I think mm-hmm. some have resided here for some time, but I think others, maybe even from those ones like in the ocean and whatever, are just mm-hmm. kind of holographic images like being sent out to us and i think that makes sense because that would be the safest thing to do we are dangerous
1: for sure yeah i completely agree with you i mean we we lash out we lash out with people that we love you know much less people that we're scared of or we you know we don't even know what they are you know there's there's a we're a pretty rudimentary species in a lot of different ways and you know we only just figured out how to fly between continents, you know, a little right. over a hundred years ago. So we, we certainly have a lot to learn.
0: We're like, really, if we don't realize if we just look back 150 years, it's yep. hugely different. The technology leap is huge and it's going oh, yeah. very fast now. Like for everything from understanding our DNA to understanding our brains to understanding you know, quantum computing, like, you know, space travel was like peanuts compared to what they're talking about doing now. Like going to the moon was, was nothing compared to what they're trying to do now. Um, you know, the fact that we had the helicopter on Mars, like that was such a big deal to me. Like I have mentioned it so much because it was so mm-hmm. cool. It <laughs> got a helicopter oh, I flying agree. on Mars.
1: <laughs> I and agree. It, it looked pretty damn cool too. Yeah. I, I, I loved it.
0: I love the video. We got to see another planet and like, I don't know why that wasn't a bigger deal. Like, why were we not all fixated to the TV? Like people used to be for the moon. Like if, if we had color video of the moon, like the way Mm -hmm. that we did of Mars, like you would think that everyone would have been like ecstatic and made a big deal back in the day. And now it's like, whatever, you know, (laughs) like, of course we do. (laughs) Of course we're, we're filming on Mars right now, whatever. (laughs) you know it's it's funny the leaps are so big and people are are not realizing the significance i think
1: i agree with you and you know especially with regard to like mars video and photography these days it's we're getting video and photos that were even just shot earlier that day and and that kind of goes right over people's heads that that oh yeah this was shot this was earlier today on mars and you know the uh, if you were to go back to my childhood and tell and tell me oh here's a picture of what happened earlier today on mars i yeah of course i would my mind would have been absolutely blown with right and and here we are right
0: including the pictures of ice on mars like the you know people are not talking about that enough in my opinion that they found ice on Mars. Not evidence oh, yeah. where ice used to be, but ice that's there mm-hmm. now. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's almost I mean, there's so much circumstantial evidence that would would point most reasonable people that have a reasonable understanding of biology or science to the point where, you know, maybe there's not super advanced forms of life elsewhere in our solar system, but there's almost certainly like um, very small or simple versions of, of, of other life, given that there's, that there's ice, given that there's water and so many other places that we've identified even just within our solar system. So I'm very hopeful, you know, I'm, and I, I, I was talking with a friend the other day about this and talking about how quickly, you know, sometimes for us that are thinking about these things every single day, um, it might seem like we're having a slow news week every once in a while or something like that. But if you look at the grand scheme of things where we've just gone just within the past five years in terms of how many observable galaxies there are and like where we are in um, uh, the so-called disclosure movement and things like Mm -hmm. this, you know, all of these little things add up and it's just like, we're in such a different place than where we were just 6 years ago and i i really have to kind of cross my fingers and and hope that in in the way that that's been happening lately that that it's it's almost like when somebody like boils you know when people either like they overheat or mm-hmm. one of my friends kind of cruelly mentioned it as like, what happens when you boil a frog? Like mm-hmm. they don't really recognize that they're getting boiled because like the heat goes up gradually. Oh, and then it's, and horrific. then it's just like, and then it's just too late for them. Oh, but that's it, but in a, I know it's horrific. I mean, I like, I don't, <laughs> I don't eat meat. So like, I, you know, <laughs> like I, I'm not right. I'm right there with you. But like, uh, you know, I think that there's something to it in the fact that like the cultural conversation in public is, you know, it's our version of the conversation and what we're seeing is gradually sneaking up on people in a lot of ways. And there are, there's like plainly obvious things happening in the press and things like that, that people are absorbing. And then, you know, it's like this big, it's this big, sense of ontological shock or shift that is creeping yeah. up on people whether they whether they want to recognize it or not eventually they're going to have to figure it out that like so you yeah, know the, the world's very big and we're very small and there's a lot of other stuff out there you know
0: so let's tackle a few points on this let's go dojo with this it was actually just mentioned by kevin day the other day that you know if we had just educated people about ufos in school and normalized it people wouldn't have had the ontological shock and i think right. about this a lot i think about the fact that if you just show someone one of the freakiest animals on the planet that has just been discovered people didn't know about it whatever it's so weird it has 500 eyes like a spider or something um everyone's like eh, okay whatever but if you just add the word UFO or space or alien to it, everyone's like, that doesn't exist. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's yep. it's a oh, really weird mentality that I just can't get past. Like, how is it we can talk about one and not the other? It's the same with religion versus UFOs, right? We can talk about angels and God and everyone's like, cool and all that, but we can't talk about aliens, right? The stigma mm-hmm. is so significant. And so well done. Like, and it's so corruptive to how we think, despite the fact that we are truly, as you said, slowly normalizing talk about exoplanets and wormholes and black mm-hmm. holes. And SETI just put out that they have AI looking at techno um, signatures. Mm-hmm. Yep. And have evidence indicating that there's something going on.
1: Mm-hmm. That's right yeah and and i mean and that may very well be the the quickest way to find conclusive evidence is like not is completely obviating uh us you know and i mean like using a higher form of intelligence that we've even created to do that you know and you know a lot of people they talk about they talk about, oh, they're interested in us because there's always speculation. They're interested in us because we developed nuclear arms. Like that has been like a predominant um, form of conversation for decades. You know, even John Keel was complaining about this over 50 years ago saying, well, you know, but, but sightings happened way before that. You know, there's always, there's always, as long as we've had recorded history, there's been Something about sky people. If you go around the world, there always has been, um, and and from what I've seen in in books like *Wonder in the Sky* by Jacques Vallée and Chris Albeck or many and many other books, you you know you find that to be the case. So, so then you know, like what what could it possibly be? And then there is what else is. Right around here, you know, if something is living alongside of us, um, then there's plenty of reason to be concerned about where we are because of how much pollution we kick out or, you know, the nuclear arms or, um, you know, any number of things that could be like how many new chemicals we just create all the time without really seeming to think about it. You know what I mean? We'll come up with just, like, some crazy new pesticide, and then we find out 30 years later that it's totally cancerous. You know, whatever it is. The
0: problem is that we always have the human perspective on why someone would be interested in us. And we we have the hardest time of getting out of the human perspective. Like, right. it could absolutely have nothing to do with us. Like, it really could. Oh, yeah. Okay. They could just see us the way we would see a a herd of cattle on another planet. Right. You know, like they really could
1: could care less. (laughs) They could just think that they could actually just think that octopi are really cool. Or like, you know what I mean? Or whales. Or they could could just love or just we have a different ocean than most people do. And like Mm -hmm. that's particularly fascinating. Yeah, there's all sorts of things that way that could be possible for sure.
0: I've also pondered they might be really more interested in Bigfoot because when people do talk about Bigfoot disappearing and people talk about orbs around Mm -hmm. Bigfoot and they talk about sometimes Bigfoot Mm -hmm. goes into a saucer. I'm like, yeah, maybe Bigfoot's the one they're here for. (laughs) Like like, maybe maybe that's what they really want to know about. Like, you know, I just, but, but then again, I also like have to hear that whole, Theory about this planet being kind of an experiment, right? Um, mm-hmm. and I really ponder that because I was telling you before we started recording, I'm reading Hoffman and they talked about in the book that initially scientists weren't even sure why some things were alive and some things were not, and mm-hmm. that DNA was the connecting evidence. Like that's how they figured out life, DNA. If something had mm-hmm. DNA. And it was alive, essentially. And it's mm-hmm. such a fascinating thing to go into the rabbit hole on. Like, what does that mean? That it's because right. it's a it seems designed, it's so complicated, it's a little bit like a very long piano with some keys getting pressed and some keys not getting pressed, and all kinds of complicated things going on. Um, so was it designed? Question mark. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, and then there's, there's, there are curiosities about that, you know, our DNA um, seems to be older than our civilization is. It seems to be, it seems to vastly precede any understanding of where we could have even evolved from, you know, and and still it's such a recent, um, you know, France, uh, you know, Francis Crick and all this stuff—you know—the idea of DNA existing at all is is kind of a recent innovation. Like we we're talking about flight or anything like this. And so, you know, it's it's important on the one hand to be relatively um, uh, modest about like what could we possibly know, given the fact that there there could be so many more uh, pieces of the puzzle to solve, especially within what used to be called like junk. You know, junk DNA or RNA and things like that—things that we don't even we don't even understand an order for yet, really. You know, and so you know, all of that's interesting. And then at the same time, there's there's also, you know, longstanding ideas within our civilization and and other civilizations with regard to, um, say, animism or panpsychism—the idea that that like this chair that I'm sitting on. Um, could think that it's alive in a certain way because if you get down to like a molecular level or whatever and then there's a bunch of you know you've got a bunch of atoms you've got a bunch of molecules continually working together to keep this chair together you know right. what I mean That are just like that are conspiring to keep my chair up right now you know if you were able to kind of blow yourself down like Ant-Man when he goes to Mania or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, if you were able to do that, and you were to ask those, you know, those little tiny beings, like, are you alive? They might, you know, want to slap you in the face. You know what right. what I mean? Be like, of course I'm alive. Are you kidding me? Yeah.
0: You, you know, right? it, it does. I do wonder, Jay, if we pass away, would that not mean all the electricity keeping all the parts together because that's what keeps them together would just be gone but it's not otherwise we would be like yoda and go and just go poof right but we don't so what's keeping that electricity going when we die
1: yeah i mean like i i think that I, i i'm curious about when we die because there's you know there are so many instances that i've heard in the experiencer group and otherwise about near death experiences like I uh, like and you know I've had my own experiences that that would seem to suggest that there's something beyond this life or, or that something that exists after after um our body physically physically dies and you know I mean like many other people I mean that that's kind of like that big last vista right that's 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 the big one right because even if you're not interested in the paranormal at all during your life you know that very last day of your life you know that there's a decent chance that that becomes exceedingly paranormal right and at the same time it could be a misnomer because like you know dying just the body dying, that's the most normal thing in the whole world, right? right that's that's the thing that everybody experiences no matter no matter what you are.
0: Well I, th- I think one thing that I've always latched on to is a belief system is a we're potentially here uh, as like a stepping stone you know It's mm-hmm. sort of like this is just a part of something bigger. Um, and I think that people who believe in soul believe in that right they believe that you're going to pass on to something else like heaven or whatever people who believe in reincarnation believe that um i've also studied ndes i find them fascinating would love to talk to more people about them um because the stories get really complicated they don't just go spiritual they actually go into a sort of a sci-fi direction sometimes and Mm -hmm. sometimes people talk about this reality is just one version and when they die, they have to decide which one of the versions they come back to. Right, um, yeah. And it makes, it's interesting, because I'll tell you why I find this really interesting. I spoke to a medium who pointed out to me that there's only so many consciousness, um, and I'm sorry, only so many bodies for consciousness to go into. Uh, so, uh-huh. so the the workaround for that would be how about you have the same consciousness go into several times at once, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like a, mm-hmm. in the same, in the same body, because there's only so many you can use. There's only so much matter. There's only so much energy, but what are you, about well, just doing it all in the different time periods at once. And like all, all of that is possible if you go sci-fi with it, right? So mm-hmm. I don't, it's very complicated, but when you watch Testimonials or hear testimonials about NDEs. It is never just. uh, I went to heaven,
1: (laughs) right? Yeah, not a single time have I heard it work out just like that. Or it's like, oh, I go, I'm, I'm, I'm in heaven, and then I get to be here forever, and then I get to be here forever. And at the same time, like, you know, there have been times where I've heard people say, oh, I think I'm in hell, but it turns out. That, you know, there seems to be an acclimation period after people die or people report this when they have near death experiences and or hypnotic regressions. Now, you know, just for the sake of argument, let's just like knock out the the hypnotic regressions um, just and deal with the people that had a near death experience when they were seemingly awake or whatever. We'll just deal with them. But some of those people, they'll come back and they'll be like, "Oh, I thought I was in hell. And then after a little bit, uh, it turned out I was I was on the reincarnation cycle. but they, since I believed in hell and since I believed I was going to hell, when I died, the first thing that greeted me was hell so that I wouldn't freak out. And that's a funny that's a funny situation. The idea that like you would go to hell, on some larger scale like so that on some larger scale you wouldn't right. freak out more I, when you die is pretty fascinating
0: i also think that that's part of the learning like if okay so if you believe what mediums say and i'm inclined to believe me what mediums say i just am um mm-hmm. they talk about like there's levels of incarnation like if your soul has come and learned quite a bit then you're going to be more spiritually advanced, right? So if you've died and you haven't gone through that many lives and haven't learned that much and haven't learned to develop consciousness, which is what energy and so on and so forth in this story, our way of thinking, then perhaps you would struggle when you die the first time, right? Because mm-hmm. you wouldn't really know as well how to deal and navigate. Mm-hmm. So I do tend to think all of the theories that people bring forward about the phenomenon are accurate because mm-hmm. there's a piece that works and fits into my narrative in my head. And one of them is <laughs> that we are basically living in, in what is sort of like um, a simulation, you know, that, mm-hmm. that our spirits are being put into biological avatars. And mm-hmm. when we come out, we're the real player. So
1: yeah. I think that there are, I think that there are a lot of things that might that point to something like that. You know, there's there's partially in the aspect of what people think of as synchronicities or high strangeness accounts that way, where people will encounter things that are so improbable that they seem impossible in daily life. But it seems to be like some like weird cosmic wink to the person themselves that couldn't have happened any that, you know, like some object that somebody hasn't seen for 40 years and seemingly lost in another town, like shows up on their wedding day, like, you know, on the kitchen table or something like that. You know, I'm just pulling something out of the ether, but you know, strange things like this, you know, do happen according to reports, you know, like often, very often. And, you know, I'm laughing because
0: like, you said you were pulling it out of the ether. And that's what <laughs> you're describing. Yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And and like um, and. Um, oh, there's a, here's a good example of something like this. Um, you know, there are the McKenna brothers, Terrence and, and Dennis McKenna. Right. And and you know these these are these incredibly famous psychonauts that really um changed the game with regard to hallucinogens in the 70s and um and you know a, a guy named Eric Davis not Ufology's Eric Davis not not our our resident savant Eric Davis but E R I K Davis wrote a great book about kind of like uh subculture in the 70s that covered Terence McKenna quite a lot Um, But, um, so anyway, after this, like, wild, wild South American kind of uh, quest that they were on at one point, they both basically did way too much hallucinogens, and it seemed that Dennis had either lost his mind or had connected with some great cosmic form of intelligence, right? And, And Terrence was concerned either way, right? and they were near a town and Dennis was just like out of his mind and so they confined him they went to the town confined him in a room locked him in the room naked right cuz he was already naked they confined and, like they just get him in there they can't get him in, into any clothes he's he's off his rocker and he's like saying things as if he's channeling stuff and he's obviously seeing and talking to things that they can't see right cuz Terence kind of came back to to sober reality. And then, um, but Dennis was swearing up and down that he was connected to something bigger, right? And so then, um, Dennis produces out of the ether in his hand, a tiny key, all right? And he hands it to Terrence. And Terrence freaks out because it's a key to an old chest that they used to play with when they were kids. And it had like super like obvious characteristics about it that were particular and that they both knew because like they both handled this key so much when they were kids. Wow. And they thought that they'd lost it and neither one of them had seen it for decades. That's amazing. And then Dennis was like, I swear to you, like, this is what's happening. And then hands Terrence this, like, one particular key. And it was unmistakable to both of them that it was that. Now, of course, if you're a cynic or you're a skeptic, you can say, like, well, he found a key. Maybe he stuffed it in his ass or, you know, like he I had don't know. his arm pulled or something like let's, that. But let's remind people
0: he was naked.
1: <laughs> right. He was naked, right? Yeah. But, like, but so he goes in there and then all of a sudden he's got this key. Now, you know, No matter how you kind of spin that, it's an interesting story. And the fact Mm -hmm. is, it it worked for Terrence because Terrence was like, "Okay, Dennis, like we're letting you out." You know what I mean? And and the fact that it was a key, and there was a key that only Terrence and Dennis, you know, knew. Yeah, that's and the fact that that Terrence was going to be the arbiter for whether Dennis got out or not. You know, stories like that are enormously fascinating to me. And there's like. And there's thousands and thousands of them by people that nobody's, nobody's ever even heard of. Right.
0: Right. So, you know, one person that a lot of people have heard of is young. Right. And yeah. I don't, I'm not a huge fan to be totally honest. You would think with the psychology research that I would be, but I um, got really tired of hearing about older <laughs> therapist. I'm more interested in people doing innovative things now. Um, mm-hmm. Lots of new programs are being created all the time. Um, I would like to learn more about those. I wish that was something that I was trained on more in the future. Um, mm-hmm. But anywho, so he talked a lot about collective consciousness and he basically Im- implied like maybe, you know, everyone has this thought process that's like kind of creating these objects you know and other people have taken it a little further like maybe our consciousness creates matter which is kind of what we would think god would have done as consciousness created Mm -hmm. earth or created the solar system created the universe even so i'm not opposed to that being possible i'm thinking that that's what your story reminded me of but earlier when we were talking about You know, people connecting and channeling. Mm -hmm. I wanted to bring up a thought that I had. Maybe this is a synchronicity, but I was thinking Mm -hmm. about this actually today. Mm -hmm. We take for granted children's imaginations. Oh, yeah. But we used to talk a lot about muses and we used to talk about being um, inspired by dreams. And we talk about, you know, spiritual guidance, something other. Then within ourselves creates ideas. And mm-hmm. people also call it downloads. Mm-hmm. But children, if they were merely connected to this social conscious or, you know, collective conscious, like Young would have liked to have said, why do they come up with new things that no one's thought of?
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, why would they come up with that kind of stuff? And, you know, kids. I, you know there there are a lot of there are a lot of cases out there where kids, especially before they get really indoctrinated by schooling, um, have a really wilded out, um, broad access, seemingly often to higher states of consciousness, either through dream life or through their imagination. Um, which could be even seen as kind of a not just a, like a creative consciousness, but a co-creative consciousness if they were able to tap into some wider framework, right? And, you know, there's a lot of accounts of kids being able to, going back centuries of kids being able to better see spirits than adults, right? Or, you know, other forms of non-human intelligence that might be visiting or just watching in a voyeuristic way or something like that and um and even seeing like dead spirits and things like that you know the amount of kids that are like oh you know i saw there's grandma she's in the corner of the room or whatever you know things like that
0: jay i just had another flash Mm. everyone always talks about how experiencers have their experiences starting in childhood Mm -hmm. and i've spoken to some serious Um, experience or support people over the um, time that I've been doing this work and Mm -hmm. a couple of them think everyone's an experiencer so what if it's not that experiences start in childhood but as you've just mentioned children just see better
1: yeah I think I think that yeah
0: and everyone's an experiencer
1: yeah, I think that there's that there's a lot of, of possibility or probability there because, you know, kids, they're not told what's impossible yet. You know, it's like what you were talking about before, how people seem to, you know, they the more schooling that they go through and things like that, the less that they're inclined to agree in a group of people that UFOs exist, at least up until recently. You know what I mean? That's changing in the last five, ten years as... and But, you know, I think that that's certainly true that, that, you know, people get intimidated when they start learning and in some ways they start learning slower. Like, I mean, this is true for me. This is true for like my nieces and nephews. This is true for a lot of kids that I see around. Like the first years of their life, they're skyrocketing. You know what I mean? There's a point where it seems like they could just learn so much in a day. And you see, you can queue up on YouTube anytime, like, you know, four year old violinist, and you'll see some kid just like, like totally nailing some Bach piece, right? And like, uh, like no problem whatsoever. And then as soon as they start getting into school, and then they're slowed down by having like 30 other kids around them, then this like collective consciousness starts to take hold. And there's some, and partially maybe because like they're learning cues from other kids, and they've never been around that many kids all that much at the same time, who knows why? But like this this indoctrination takes hold where it's not just about like what's being presented, but like how fast or how, how slow you're meant to learn things, too. Because from what I see, you know what I mean? If you would really want to have a kid, you know, be a surgeon by the age of 15, like you should try to teach them as much of surgery as you can before the age of eight, you know, before I've, they enter first grade
0: had another weird flash go through my head oh my god jay you're breaking out all these weird ideas coming from me right now but if if you go with what leslie kane has spoken about which is past lives and that Mm -hmm. some children remember them and we connect that to what i was just saying about you know we're biological avatars and our real self is a consciousness and it's growing and it just comes here to visit and maybe goes through different realities to do that anywho when we are born, we would be closest to who we were before.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: A much smarter consciousness or being. Or a,
1: ma- a more mature consciousness, anyway. Right. <laughs> but
0: yeah. smarter. And I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. saying this is true for all children. I've met some children that probably aren't considered that smart. Let's be honest.
1: But <laughs> Yeah, but I've met some if, dumb kids. <laughs> yes,
0: but what if that's part of it? Like they come in so eager to learn because that's what they came here for and so good at it in the beginning because they're closer to what they were before.
1: Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think, I think that there's really something to that that, you know, also partially because children are often left with a lot of unstructured time, you know, there's a lot of kind of like make your own fun that happens as a kid. And, you know, even these days, partially because there's a cultural understanding that kids shouldn't have like an iPhone kids shouldn't have like a, a screen in front of them until whatever X age it is, you know, and some people might think that that's three and some people might think that that's seven or something like that. But, you know, there's still that kind of idea that, that people shouldn't be just like planted in front of a TV all day or something like that. Right. Right. And so if that's the case, then, then kids could be left in a state where they could find a meditative state more easily or a dissociated state more easily. You know what I mean? Because if they're sitting around and all they've got to do, they can't read yet and all they've got is like their blocks. You know what I mean? Then, then they're less distracted because there's a less that they could be distracted by in many ways. I mean, I'm just spitballing here, but like, if that's true, you know what I mean? You're, you're leaving a kid in a state where hours of the day, you know, they're just left to their own devices and they could be finding that,
0: right.
1: that they higher state be, much, that much easier. Yeah.
0: yeah. They're using that other part of the brain. Like I actually got, I'll show you, you know, anyone else can see this, of course, but it's a left brain, right brain puzzle book. <laughs> because oh, that's fun. Right, because I wanted yeah. to increase the you know the the right side of my brain, which people associate with like more innovative, um, not, or meditative states. Right, so um, uh-huh. if children are just playing, they're probably activating that part of their brain more. If they're doing things like playing Minecraft, they're probably using the other side of their brain, which is the logic side, and it's not so much meditative. So it's that's interesting. a
1: great, that's right. a very great point. Yeah,
0: right. And then also, just as a side note, there is a pl- way that children still find a- to meditate. And I've promoted this for myself. And it took me really far. And I've told people this, that I actually would set aside time to daydream. That's mm-hmm. what I called it. I'd, and I actually would have a fit if my sister interrupted my daydreaming because we shared a room. So I would say, no, I'm to daydream. It was no TV no reading at that point which i did read quite a bit but it, it was i need time to just daydream is what i would say so um so jay uh-huh. um i have a few questions and i'd really like already an hour in i haven't even gotten to them
1: <laughs> sure okay gotcha
0: <laughs> like right. so i want to make sure that we tackle a few before we run out of time um sounds good Okay, the first one is one from me that I really was curious about. I was just glancing through Twitter today, and I noticed two things. Both mm-hmm. Lady Gaga and Miley Cyrus were being lauded <laughs> as having had UFO experiences. What are your uh-huh. thoughts on celebrities um, suddenly picking this up as um, something? Well, I mean, obviously, they're, we're all humans. We all share an interest in certain things do you think that could be damaging to us or helpful if they get involved in the UFO community?
1: Well, for right now, I think that's a great question. And I think that it's a very relevant question, partially because of the two examples that you just, that you just gave, you know, I think that it's great that more, I think that it's great that more and more different types of notable people are coming out with their own experiences you know, I remember a couple of years ago, Demi Lovato started talking about uh, about Demi Lovato's experiences. Um, I I know that, you know, uh, back in the day, John Lennon talked about having his own experiences with non human entities, and there are many other situations between and before that where artists and musicians, um, and other notable types, scientists and such, have had their have talked about their own experiences, and I think. I think that it's important that more different types of folks um, come out with this material. And uh, partially because our field has been so male dominated for so long and um, in, in partially because of a very large language barrier, right? Because there is tons of Russian ufology There's like a decent amount of Chinese ufology. There's a ton of Portuguese and Spanish ufology out there. There's even some Ukrainian, French threads, of course, to just talk to Jacques Vallée about that. Um, But, you know, because of the language barrier, um, we haven't quite bridged those gaps in a lot of different ways. So the Western, you know, um, English speaking version of ufology that we get is so white and so male-driven that, that a lot of people in this country and that speak our language, you know, feel like there's an, a barrier just in that. Um, and that. And I think that that's, like, provided for a lot of biases. You know what I mean? Because if you're... I think that's part of the reason why people are so maybe bent on, like, nuts and bolts as, as like, part of the equation. Because boys love their trucks, don't they? They love playing with their spaceships and they love playing with their airplanes. I I didn't think of
0: that. I'm glad you said that. Never thought of it that way.
1: Yeah. And, you know, and this could be like an assumption. And I totally cop to that. You know what I mean? But if we bring more people to the table and if we bring more different types of people to the table that normally wouldn't approach this conversation... We might be getting more left, you know, you know, left field out of the box and interpretations that um, mm. that wouldn't necessarily fit these, these schemes that we've been having for decades. And, well. and it might, you know, and, and, and also, you know, just in terms of like spreading the idea of quote unquote disclosure with a capital D or whatever, you know, if Lady Gaga's doing it and, and Miley Cyrus is doing it well gosh I hope that like 10 basketball players do it this year and I hope that you know like 25 rappers do it next year because well we have ace pilots doing it
0: ace pilot guys mavericks so I would just say though I worry like I don't I already know Biden didn't want to talk about it and laughed it off when he was asked and that was it right and Trump kind of was like I knew something but I'm going to smirk and not tell you Um, you know, like some of the presidents who we all expect one day will come to a podium and say something, you know, I just worry that they're not going to want to touch a topic that has to do with Lady Gaga. You know what I mean? They're not going to want to go announce something seriously that maybe Lady Gaga was fussing about on a video or something. You know what I mean? Like that's what worries me. I don't, I don't, I appreciate them as human beings who are interested, but I worry, uh, I do because it's so easy for people to add more stigma to it
1: uh, I mean I I guess I could see where you're coming from but you know I, I, I and I think that I see this happen on Twitter and stuff like that and people make the people often make the the point of saying like oh you shouldn't say that because you know people will take this less seriously right but here's the thing is that you know, in earlier generations, you know, John Keel complained about this in Operation Trojan Horse. You know, he was writing in, it was published in 1970, as I recall. And so he's writing about this in the late 60s, before it was published, saying like, you know, people would edit out either the experiences themselves would edit out the weirder details of their accounts, or the researchers would edit out, the weirder aspects of their accounts because quote unquote people won't take it seriously if you do that well then all that happened was is that you got these partial fragments of counts that weren't as that weren't the whole picture and so then now we're left to try to figure out what really happened when people are talking about oh was the gray wearing oh of course the gray was wearing clothes he was wearing a belt and he had shoes you know what i mean like, like suspiciously, there are all sorts of situations where beings that look like grays, you know, it seemed like that some of these strange details that we are able to say now, where it's like, oh, it was naked and he didn't have any genitals. Well, imagine trying to be the first person talking about grays back in the day. Right. Oh, he had a belt. He had boots on. Yeah, they were cute boots. He had cute little boots on and he had a belt and. You know, like how much confabulation would would people do to just, you know, save themselves uh, the tiniest little bit of embarrassment back in the day? And And so along those. Yeah,
0: I was going to say before I forget to mention it, we talked about how the phenomenon changes for us. Let's not forget that now grays are supposedly bio robots, which makes sense with our changes
1: exactly exactly it totally makes sense and at the same time you know like you could also make a strong case that they're cave beings because they have giant eyes and very little pigmentation you know what i mean like you can go down all sorts of different roads that way you know or and they could even overlap right but along those yeah
0: i always think of the giant squid uh because they have the biggest eyes
1: totally and and along those lines though i think that You know, when we worry about, like, oh, we shouldn't say this because, you know, people won't take us seriously or something like that. We forget that, like, the field of ufology, you know, at any one time, we might be talking about, like, 40 or 50,000 super fans and, like, people that are, like, wildly interested in it. And then you might have, you know, maybe 500,000 other people that will be watching, you know or maybe a million people maybe a million people that are watching something like ancient aliens or something that's on tv or whatever right and then and then there's another bigger form of it that happens when a movie like avatar or et or close encounters of the third kind happens or whatever something like that right and and then at the same time you think about that stuff well guess what you know you know anybody can look up how many how many followers miley cyrus or lady gaga has and i will promise you i will promise you that at any one time there are probably a hundred times as many people on earth that are taking lady gaga seriously as as are taking like our whole field collectively you know what i mean and that's partially being me being like I'm partially being facetious. I'm partially joking there, but I think that there's accuracy to it. Right. And I think that it's okay because some of those people are going to grow. They they look up to people like Lady Gaga or they look up to people like Demi Lovato or Kendrick Lamar has has had his own experiences and there's other people like that as well. And like there are going to be people that listen to a Kendrick Lamar record and then later they're going to grow up to be a scientist just by the numbers you know what i mean yeah. and so and so this you know there is like a gradual there's a process where we can't wait for this to happen fast enough and at the same time like there are so many eternal mysteries there are so many mysteries that we've been trying to solve for so long that you know i'm comfortable with the idea that in 80 years you know in 50 years or 60 years or 80 years when anybody listening to this passes on like hopefully we still have some more mysteries to solve because golly, wouldn't it be boring if we didn't? What if we figured everything else out in our life? We
0: can't. There's so much of the universe left. Like, and it's, it's actually moving away from us. So it'll be even harder to reach when we get there. Right. So (laughs) technically I we haven't even figured our, um, all of our brain out. Like they just discovered another region of the brain like two weeks ago. Um, And I was reading about how Hoffman described um, the split brain, which a lot of people don't even know about. Like I didn't know about that. And I went to like undergrad for psychology, right? So um, what does it mean if your left hemisphere of your brain and your right hemisphere of the brain can actually have different personalities? What does that mean? Like, does that mean we could literally be two entities in one? Like, I don't know. I can get weird with that, but that's a whole other thing. So, Andy, um, I apologize to keep switching gears, but I have this really uh-huh. long question from someone sure. that I want to get to um, named Delta Tesseract, or sorry, Tesseract. Okay. That's what okay. it's supposed to be. It's Tesseract, eighty-four seventy-two. Uh-huh. Okay, Are you ready? I'm going to read it because it's okay. going to be, um, yeah, it's a Mr. doozy. King. I get it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Mr. King, given the successful conferences you and Mr. Iandoli hosted in New York late last year, I'm very Uh impressed with the ways in which your guest speakers have found a way to interweave consciousness studies with ufology research, which leads Uh me to ask the pivotal question around which this entire subject matter revolves, for me Uh at least. And Uh and that's a quote, guys. and your estimate, has excluding the nuanced topic of interactions between human and NHI consciousness recorded throughout the reputable experiencer case files, which seems to indicate consciousness is fundamentally fundamentally interconnected with all other beings at the basement level of cognition. Does uh-huh. the omission of this Curious observation by proponents of predominantly reductionist physicalism, Mm -hmm. example nuts and bolts, Mm -hmm. worldview ultimately harm humanity's capacity to better understand itself in relation to itself, as well as in relation to the phenomenon writ large.
1: (laughs) The answer to that question is yes okay yeah absolutely i think it i think it definitely harms harms the conversation and it definitely harms our understanding i mean i think that when people exclude our consciousness and the and our interactivity with non-human intelligence or non-human entities you're you're limiting people are limiting not just like our sensing capabilities as human beings but also limiting the the un, willfully limiting the forms of communication that we regularly understand that we have right because if we if we were to take that completely reductionist mentality with regard to even just our own animals right our own dogs our own cats all of our own pets You know, we forget that it was actually a controversial idea until very recently in Western culture, in mainstream Western culture, there was a big question. Do animals have feelings? Right. Like that was a common question for many years. And some people still actually think this. They still think like, oh, gosh, I don't know. And, yeah, you don't necessarily objectively know because there's no machine that tells you. You know, gives you a reading on whether your dog feels sad or not, but you can tell. You can tell. I mean, it's clearly. You know, it's like, oh, look, he's sad. We've got to take him for a. While. Do you want to walk? Do you want to walk? You know, there's all these things, and it's like, like, when we divorce ourselves from that kind of basic sensing, we're also divorcing ourselves from our capabilities of empathy, our capabilities of 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 micro expression, and and ultimately those those do provide like a serious disservice because if you are not capable of reading another human being, or you want to willfully create a veil, with which you're not going to be able to read somebody else in that form in that way. If you can, if you can, um, then then we're going to be less hospitable to each other you know we'll be less hospitable to other beings well to to animals to our partners to our friends you know to people we work with and i think that that is like a dangerous and slippery slope you know you could make a strong case that one of the reasons why people are so aggressive with each other online is that they don't have a face to work with so often and they can't see they don't see how it affects to say the statement that you're saying to the person that could be in front of you. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, you know, I was just thinking, I don't know if you ever watched The Outer Limits in the 90s. There was an episode where they showed everyone's gonna collect um, their consciousness in an internet, right? And this mm-hmm. was before the internet was what it is now. And it it's all gonna be connected to your head this is before Neuralink was discussed and its competitor. And I wonder, what if we bypass the current problem with the Internet and we make it so that you don't just connect to thoughts, but you connect to other people's feelings, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And maybe that's, maybe it's like the airships with, you know, the ropes coming down to grab the cow and then they just use a beam of light. You mm-hmm. know, maybe that's part of what we're supposed to pick up. Right. Maybe that's part of the reason why some of these beings are doing this to begin with is, is like, no, you can do this. You, you know, this is actually possible, you know, and I, there are a lot of people out, like on the, you know, in the further out versions of our community that, that really, that have, that believe this now and have believed this for decades, but I, I think that there's okay. something to it. Yeah. Right. I think that there's, I think that there's something to that, you know, like I I think that there's something to that. And at the very least, you know, even if you don't think that there's something to it, maybe you can at least look at it from the angle of intrigue and mm-hmm. intelligence gathering. And if, and if some of the, and if that many cases of beings are able to do this and able to interact with us and, like, make us feel feelings or 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 they seem to be able to read our feelings in kind of, like, an inherent way where they feel it themselves. You know, that's something, you know, that that's a form of an intelligence gathering that should be really captivating to certain people. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. And let's get weird here for a minute because we've heard some breadcrumbs from people, right? And one of those breadcrumbs is if you were to leave a memento on our planet that you wanted to last forever a memorial so to speak dna Mm -hmm. would be a really good way to do that and dna is essentially a code a little Mm -hmm. map so what if all the things that we're doing and that path that we're following and that control mechanism that seems to be guiding us is activating that code it's all in us already we already know how to do all these things and we're just sort of following a map
1: yeah i mean i i think that that's certainly possible at least you know if you know if that dna if all that dna is as far as the map goes you know if that map means that it's giving us a certain parameters like a map does you know what i mean what's on the map and what's off the map, right? Or like how high can Super Mario jump, right? Mm -hmm. You know, all these, all these certain parameters and, Mm -hmm. and that will help define our experience and it will help define like what we can do in this world. If we just have like a ton of global parameters and, you know, it does, as some people have suggested, you know, there does seem to be some design in those parameters that we've been given. And, You know, and some of those, you know, people say like, oh, this must have been, you know, just stumbling in the dark, some trial and error of mutations that that eventually gave us the pigmentation that we have, the hair that we have, like our ability to see, like whatever it is, right? Um, And at the same time, there does... You know, there are many, many people that aren't even necessarily even adjacent to our community that think that there's some form of intelligent design in there. Yeah. And I'm and having I weird
0: thoughts about video yeah. games because I play them and I'm imagining the invisible wall that you find in an open world sometimes and you just can't yeah. get past it. But then also in the same game, you ran in, you run into a glitch and suddenly you're underneath the whole map of
1: the world. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly yeah
1: a hundred percent yeah and you'll just be kind of like you know freaking know. out in that one red corner unable to get out
0: or you're stuck you know, in the middle of a ship yeah yeah, yeah so maybe
1: I, even unable to die you know right so just exactly there, you right? have
0: to just quit at that point and start over so maybe that's what anomalies yeah. are like when you glitch out <laughs> and, and then and you know just not getting past the invisible wall. That's very frustrating and that's what causes so many people to get upset um, However, I do think that that walls is getting further apart in the open world map in our video game is getting bigger
1: <laughs> yeah I think our video uh, yeah I think the the map is getting much bigger mm-hmm. you know with the James Webb telescope and with people being able to detect say gravitational waves increasingly or people being able to to do... You know more mapping at at like the nano level or Mm -hmm. you know people attempting uh to be able to kind of access uh, any kind of quantum level at all i think you know the map's getting bigger both ways you know and people people like hoffman who you mentioned early don hoffman uh who wrote that great book uh the case against reality Mm -hmm. he he has like a, a wonderful passage in the case against reality where he talks about how he's like—he's talking about the very big and the very small—and he says something like, "I'm not going to remember it exactly." He's—he's um, he's like, "Don't get me wrong; I have no prejudice against middle-sized objects and life." And it's like just really goofy the way that he says that, but it's mm-hmm. funny the way that he means because what he's talking about is how we as humans have this extraordinary bias to things that exist only within the certain framework. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's like things can be as big as trees or maybe right. planets, and they can be as small as, you know, like like a pea that you accidentally dropped on the ground while you're eating dinner or something like that. And then, mm-hmm. or like a piece of dust or something like that. And if it's smaller than that, or if it's bigger than that, we don't really give a crap about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In, in many In many situations. And that—that's its own form of cognitive bias, right? Yeah, and, we have a ton of we... that.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I could go on and on. I've been talking a lot about cultural bias, about how other cultures don't see this the same way as Western culture. Western culture is pretty far behind, um, actually. Like uh, if you watch. I think it's called Tsunami Spirits, which was, um, I think it was one of the Unsolved Mysteries. Oh, yeah, that was a
1: great one. Like, I
0: really enjoy watching foreign television. I very rarely watch American TV at this point. So Mm -hmm. I know a lot about, you know, like, I don't watch a lot of anime, but I know about Shintoism and spirit and everything. And when you were talking about the chair, I was thinking about that. And I know about... You know other cultures have a different appreciation of death and other other cultures just kind of accept that you know spirits are a thing and you know like all that kind of things like our culture is just behind right so we do have a bias like just culturally and then we have the bias of like we don't like to think about anything that doesn't involve ourselves very much and then we have american bias oh my god like the ego (laughs) Some, like, yeah, like the like, so it goes on and on, and then of course, people have gender bias, like you know, mm-hmm. you know, so on. And it's just, it's just, you're so many hurdles, and it's part of how our brains work to simplify, you know, and it's, it would be great for people to understand that a lot of our perceptions are not what we think they are, like Hoffman has said, and. And other animals have very different experiences on this very same planet. They can see and hear things we cannot. They smell things we cannot. Like our dogs mm-hmm. smell things we would not believe, right? So oh it's so interesting. And these non-human intelligence, they could be very well trying to communicate with us and we're just not getting it. They could be like sending out pulses of wave and they're probably wondering why we're not picking it up because we don't read wave. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I mean, oh, absolutely. We we're not in that spectrum that they're sending it. We don't know,
1: but I, I think you're right. And I think about it all the time that, like, for an example that anybody can see around here, you know, it, just googling the internet or whatever, is that birds and dogs understand our speech better than we understand theirs Mm -hmm. right and birds some birds can even mimic our speech right and they'll say you know hello how are you or like i'm hungry or you know screw you Mm -hmm. or whatever and they can even mimic our speech back to us and have intent behind it seemingly um and we can't we don't even know the first thing like i passed i walked by this tree in my neighborhood that is, it has like these weird little berries in it, right? And it's the only tree like that in this whole neighborhood. And for whatever reason, probably those dang berries, it attracts so many birds, so many more birds than any other tree in this whole neighborhood. And they're always chattering at each other, right? And you can right. hear them from away. They're always, it's just like, you know, and, and I, I hear it all the time and I'm like, God, it just sounds like 150 people talking to each other you know, constantly, and we have zero idea what they're saying, right? But they have a great concept of, you know, at least a simple version of what we're talking about. You know what I mean? And if they live with us, etc., some species of birds. When you're saying that
0: though, Jay, I think some people do pick up on what they're trying to say, like the birds Mm -hmm. and the dogs, Mm -hmm. because I'm just like, Maybe because dogs actually have adapted so much to living with humans that they try to Mm -hmm. make themselves clearer to us. But That's a good point. And then also as a mother, like I know my dog has different barks just like my kid did with different cries as a baby, you know, like Mm -hmm. so um, I and then also I just study body language a lot and things like that because of my field. I don't know. Maybe I'm weird, but I had a bird. I'll tell mm-hmm. you um, why that whole thing is significant later when we're not recording, but I sure. would try to study what my bird was saying to me. Um,
1: oh, that's great.
0: So I'll 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 tell you about the funny thing about that later. But anyway, I have one um, more question from Benji mm-hmm. might be, I want to make sure I get the wording exactly uh-huh. right. <laughs> this Hi, is, Benji. This is a very serious question, Jay, you ready?
1: Okay. Yep.
0: Question for Jay: Why is he so handsome?
1: Oh, Benji! Oh my gosh! Oh, jeez! I, I mean, I don't know, Benji. My my mom just made me this way. I don't think I'm. I I appreciate it. I like um. <laughs> I, you, you're a pretty handsome guy yourself. I like uh, yeah. Benji's no.
0: awesome. He is so that's, positive.
1: That's, He's so positive. I really enjoy that guy. Well, I know that he was just trying to crack us up, and I appreciate that. Thank yeah. you. Thank you very much, Benji. I know. You, you, don't, you don't look so bad yourself, and I would ask you the same. I would, I would turn that right back to you. Yeah. Right.
0: And so, Benji, you're not going to get to see it, but you definitely made Jay Red. <laughs> so That's just right. A bit I'm too. blushing,
1: Benji. I'm blushing. That's true.
0: <laughs> okay. So, in the interest of saving you some of your time i think you and i could probably talk for about 50 more hours easily enough but oh sure absolutely i do want to give you just one final question and that is where can people find you if they would like to find you
1: oh sure here it's so let's see folks can find me um on twitter they can find me uh at sign J A Y C king 78 Rolls right off the tongue. Or you can search Twitter and just search for J. Christopher King. Um, You can also find the Experiencer Group um, at www.forexperiencers.com. That's www.forexperiencers.com. And you can also find the Experiencer Group uh, on Twitter at twitter.com slash forexperiencers. Uh, we also have an Instagram set up, if that's your more favored version of social media. Um, but those are, those are a few of the places to find me. I have open DMs on Twitter. And so if you can't find another piece of contact for me, um, folks can always uh, contact me through there.
0: Thank you so much for coming and talking to me today. It's been great. Again, you're a very special person doing amazing work. We all appreciate you so much. We appreciate your heart. We appreciate your intellect. And of course, we appreciate your friendship. So thank you so much, Jay Christopher King.
1: Uh, thank you, Deb. I appreciate you right back. Thank you okay. so much for the great work that you're doing as well
0: thank you and to anyone who's looking out for me i'm at study of uaps you can find me occasionally on instagram i'm not good at it yet but i try sometimes um you can find me on twitter at study of uaps linkedin facebook um youtube with calling all beings ufoconnector.com or with the uap medical coalition take care everyone and thank you for listening